This podcast is part of the Big Heads Media Podcast Network. Go to BigHeadsMedia.com for more great podcasts. And now, on with the show. Hey everyone, welcome to... We're watching here! We're watching here! This is Opinionated Movie Talk with Chris and Perry. My name is Chris Williams. With me, he is the Sal to my sonny, Perry Seibert. I finally get to be John Cazale! Yes! Yes! <laughs> my life stream has happened! <laughs> Aren't that many chances to be that either. No! No, no only get five of them. <laughs> well, I'm really excited. We are, uh, we're actually back on schedule, which is nice. Um, <laughs> I kind of You know, it it at least put its chaos into our schedule, which was nice. Um, But we are continuing our series of movies of the 70s, summer of the 70s. And we've got a Sidney Lumet double feature today. We are talking about Network and Dog Day Afternoon, but not in that order. Um, And I'm excited to talk about these. These are really interesting movies to dive into. But Perry, first, what have you been watching? Uh, I went to see David Lowry's The Green Knight. I am the only human on the planet, I think, who saw it in the theater. (laughs) You are not. Uh, I can guarantee that. Excellent. Excellent. You did too. All right. Good deal. Um, And boy, so this was a project that I was, I, I have no great... I have no great feelings towards the Arthurian legend one way or the other. I don't, I don't need to hear this story over and over. I'm somewhat familiar with it. I will tell you that I acted in a stage production of Camelot in high school. Uh, and, but I, I, I thought that tackling a, an Arthurian legend like, uh, like he does with the Green Knight was almost ideal for David Lowry, who's a director who is so poetic. And, and his poetry is mostly visual i also think he's a spectacular writer but he is like he's the one director to me who has figured out how to take from terrence malick what malick does best and actually use it in a way that is way more accessible than malick is at his at his most gone (laughs) uh and lowry i think lowry thinks like a poet and he thinks like a in the sense that he thinks about theme and he thinks about meaning and he thinks about how everything is interconnected and about how time is relative and uh, all in these really poetic ways through all of his, all of his movies, I think work at at this level, even, even the Pete's dragon remake. And, uh, (laughs) and I think that this is uh, no exception. I think it just gives him an ideal canvas to work with. The film is mysterious and strange and funny and it isn't confusing, but you don't exactly know for sure what's going on much of the time. And yet you feel like you understand what the main character's doing most of the time. Like what, what, what he's doing makes sense, even though you're as confused as he is. Uh, all to an ending that is uh, just like all of his endings, just beautiful they just his he knows how to build a film to pay off for a final sequence uh as good as any director alive i i'm I'm a big fan and i think this is a a really great project i was bummed out how when i saw the box office returns on it from the first weekend but can't be surprised with no star and from a small company like a24 testing the waters of what box office looks like for a film like this post-pandemic 
Yeah, I'm really glad uh, you saw this. Um, I, I'm a big David Lowry fan. I, I think Ghost Story was my number one film of the year the year it came out. I think um, I remember I, that. I really like that one. And I do think he's directed the only Disney remake that has any soul to it. Um, yes. I, I really do like his Pete's Dragon remake. Um, I, I, I felt much the same way about this. I have been excited about this one for a long time. Um, like you, I'm not really big into the Arthurian legend. Um, I like Monty Python. Um, that that might be as far as it goes for me for the most part. Um, but I can remember seeing the trailer for this, I, I want to say two years ago, um, because they started coming out with trailers for this this summer before it was supposed to be released, which was last May. Right. Um, so I've been waiting on this one for a very long time. Uh, yeah, I loved it. I I told you right before recording that uh, the theater I was in was fairly packed for a Friday night show. Um, and then about halfway through, I noticed the theater was less packed and <laughs> people were getting restless. People were getting impatient. Um, there were some giggles at parts that uh, kind of irritated me, um, but I didn't care. I, I loved it. It was the... <laughs> I feel like going back to movies, I wrote about this in my newsletter recently. So I feel like going back to the movies lately has been so often, it's just something I do out of reflex. It's back. So I go and I go see Fast 9 and I go see Black Widow, but I haven't really had the experience where I've gone to the movies and I felt like, oh, I'm leaving chewing on something. I'm leaving, you know, nitpicking something or tearing, you know, pulling it apart in my head on the way home. And this is a movie that makes you work. Uh, And I don't mean that as a negative at all. You need to pay attention to what's going on. You need to accept that for much this movie, there are things that don't make sense on the surface. You have to go back and look at the totality of it to see how it plays into that theme. I went back and started reading articles about, you know, how this ties into the original legend, but also (laughs) how it departs from it, which he has a character in there who talks about sometimes if she likes, you know, thinks the story should be different, she rewrites it. And he does that here. And yeah, I loved it. It is visually gorgeous. It has some of the most striking images I've seen in a long time. I really like Dev Patel and Alicia Vikander in this. Um, yeah, I, I don't want to say too much because I do think people need to just go see it. Um, I think it is a movie that many people went into maybe hoping it was like a Lord of the Rings and it is right. not. Um, it is not a uh, swashbuckler. It is a epic poem and put to film. Yeah, and absolutely. And it is challenging to watch as the original text has been for many people to wrestle with in English classes. Exactly, and exactly. I'm glad he did that. I'm glad he respected that. I'm glad he respected his audience. Um, yeah, I, I can't fathom how this is not one of my favorite movies of the year. Yeah, I'm, I, I, am, I am with you. I, I am, it is the first thing I've seen in a long time that I am super excited to see again. Yeah. <laughs> I haven't had that experience in a while and where it's like, oh, and again, this made me so happy to be back in a theater. Yeah, that you know, this is the kind of film that for you know, it is designed to make you pay attention, and so that's why you go to the theater. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um. So speaking of uh, auteurs, 
Um, I, I, I've got a what we've been watching. Um, it is summertime, and in summer, sometimes you uh, you like to go out. You like to go to the beach. Sometimes you go to the beach and you get a suntan. Sometimes Perry, you go to a beach and you get old. And oh uh, no, oh. <laughs> I saw M Night Shyamalan's oh. old. Um, <laughs> and oh man, um, I, I I was thinking about this the other day um, because Kevin Smith started doing Clerks three started shooting Clerks 3, right? Sure. And Kevin Smith is one of those guys who almost every time lately he's up at bat, it's a whiff for me. And yet I keep yeah. giving him more chances because his work had such an impact on me in the 90s that I'm like, I'm always going to try and root for the guy. I always hope he's going to come back to that. M. Night Shyamalan is kind of the same way with me. Like, uh, I, <laughs> You're I, way more forgiving than I am. I, I might because be. you're a better person I, than I am. Um, you know, I, the Sixth Sense, Unbreakable, Signs, even The Village are movies I like quite a bit. Um, and, and so I keep hoping he's going to turn out a good one. And sometimes I'm rewarded and you get something like, I really like Split. Um, sometimes you get something like Glass, which was really bad. Uh, I Old is a bad movie that I like. Um, it is, <laughs> it, it is the best and worst of him on display. Um, if you've seen the previews, you know, this is a movie about a family and a group of tourists that go to a beach where they start getting rapidly older over the course of an afternoon. Um, I am at the age right now where I'm watching my kids grow up really quickly. I'm watching my parents get older. I'm watching myself get older. So gotcha. there's a vested interest in the, in the topic here. Um, and this isn't the emotional terror that I had thought it was going to be. Uh, you know, it's, it's not about the emotional weight of getting older. And I have Synecdoche, New York for that. Um, <laughs> he lets this be a body horror movie. It's actually quite effective. Like he knows how to get under my skin. He knows how to deliver an image that is really grotesque and shocking He's really good with suspense pieces. And really, I mean, it's unrelenting for, a, you know, the middle hour of this movie. Like the middle hour of this movie is really well composed. His camera angles are great. He's doing some really good subtle work with the aging. Um, and then it just, it gets really scary and really disturbing. The problem is that is sandwiched between a really flat beginning and a really nonsensical ending. Um, <laughs> He does this thing. I can't fault the actors because, I mean, it's Gabriel Garcia Bernal, Vicky Kreps, Rufus Sewall. They're all good actors. Yes, they are. And he, Shyamalan has this tendency. It, it, it's definitely a trick he turns to and he does intentionally because he does it in all his movies where his actors are directed to give the weirdest line readings I have ever heard. Like, they talk like no one on the planet has ever talked. Yes. And it doesn't help that the dialogue they're given is the most didactic, stilted dialogue yes. I have ever heard. And so the first half hour of this movie, I'm at a remove because none of this feels remotely real. And maybe he's going for something dreamlike, but it, it doesn't work. Then the movie builds to a point where I thought this is a great haunting ending. It's going to stick with me. This is what I was hoping it was going to be. And then it goes on to explain everything for 20 minutes in a way that oh, sucks oh. the air out of the eye. So 
Shyamalan's gonna Shyamalan. Um, I, I will say, I mean, he's he's a big director who is not, you know, no, he's it, not. This is based on a graphic. Well, this is based on a graphic novel, but he's doing something. He's taking a swing, you know, and 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 I appreciate that he's doing something <laughs> original. Um, I appreciate this was a movie that didn't deliver what I thought it was going to deliver. Like it's not, it's not the Marvel McDonald's sandwich of the week, you know. It, it's sure. It's there, but man, it's it's the good and the bad, and uh, it's it's old. It's it, some of it works really well, and I'll recommend it for that. But man, his his worst indulgences are in full display there. I don't know if we've ever talked about this on the podcast. I don't know if I've ever explained this whole thing to you before about M Night because I usually just take every possible pot shot I can at the man's work. Uh, but for me, you know, at my most poetic about being a film lover, I think of, you know, I have relationships with directors and actors that's really personal. And I understand that. And, you know, it, it means something to me to be a critic. And I'm not demanding that other people recognize that. I'm not saying, you know, I'm offended if you don't think of me that way or if that's not the first thing you think about. But that's what I that's what I think of myself as. And. Uh, no director has ever I have never felt as personally attacked as I was by Lady in the Water it's truthfully <laughs> it, it's a giant fuck you to me personally and at that point I, I truly loathe the man's work and when I say what and if I just say I loathe the man I just mean his work I, I, I loathe M. Night Shyamalan the director because he loathes me personally it's, it's not like it's not like uh 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 who's the danish director it's not lars von trier who hates everybody that's not personal <laughs> but m night hates me and uh i have always responded in kind from that movie on and you know what i've never been wrong i've never been wrong i have not seen much of his stuff since then honestly i i i've no need to have that dysfunctional relationship in my life so I don't allow it. I feel like he has settled into a routine where he understands he's a B-movie director and he leans into that, which makes him a, it a little bit easier to go down. Uh, Lady in the Water, gosh, it's not just that he's attacking critics, that he has a critic character who is eaten by a giant porcupine. And is responsible for everything that has gone wrong. Don't yeah. forget that. Like people pass on this movie as one of the most angry self-indulgent things a director has ever made well yeah because you know in contrast to the critic who makes everything wrong M. Night Shyamalan casts himself right as the writer who's going to change the world and yeah He's I, I was so awful. excited when that came out <laughs> and it, I I remember when that came out it came out on my birthday oh and oh my dad yeah, my dad was like, well, let's go see a movie for your birthday. Um, <laughs> and he was he was trying to sell me on <laughs> you, me, and Dupree. And Better movie. Was, Better movie. Well, <laughs> about halfway through, I did turn to him and go, we should have saw you, me, and Dupree. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, so, yeah. Um, yeah. Old, if you're not a fan, this isn't going to make you one. Good. If you're interested Good. in if there's some interesting stuff, um, I think I was kinder to it in my review than I'm being here. Um, it's a mixed bag. It's M. Night Shyamalan. It's M. Night. It's, it's, it's M. Night going to M. Night, like you said. Exactly. 
So let's talk about some good movies. Let's uh, we talk about The Green Knight, which is a great movie. We talked about um, Old, which is not. But we're going to go further back. We're going to continue our series, Summer of the 70s. Uh, if you haven't listened to our episodes on the Godfather trilogy and Chinatown, make sure you take some time to go back after this, listen to those. I've had a great time doing this. Um, we are doing a double feature, which I don't know that we've done before. Uh, two movies from the same director made, I believe, a year apart. A I, year I think, two. I can never remember if Dog Day is 73 or 74. I think it's, uh, I always Dog think it's 73. Day, Dog Day is 75. Oh, that's right. And Network, and Network is, is 76. Yep. So a year apart. Um, movies that honestly are very different from each other. Um, yeah, I, I'm excited to talk about these. Um, and we'll start with Dog Day Afternoon because it did come first, but also I had not seen this movie before. I, I, it's been a few years since I'd seen Netflix, Netflix Network. <laughs> um, but Dog Day Afternoon was my uh, my first time, you know, my first time with. Um, Perry, why don't you tell the uh, good listeners what this movie is about? Dog Day Afternoon is based on a true story about a bank robbery in New York. It stars Al Pacino and Vincent Cazell as the two bank robbers. And it is this fantastic, almost real time. It's not really real time, but it feels real time. uh, Exploration of what happens as this bank robbery turns into a hostage situation and it plays with elements of media which is uh, really smartly and in a way that is even more entertaining to me now seeing how it gets everything right like everything that happens would still happen today it would just happen in a different way you know this is very much about television news uh, local tv news filming what's going on and now it would all be facebook live but other than that it would still break down the same way and that's really interesting to me you can see how real and true the human stuff is because you could remake this with the modern technology and you could still do it really well oh yeah uh not that i think this film should be remade in any way <laughs> just pointing out how timeless it is while still being very much a film set in 1975 uh it deals with lgbtq stuff in a really interesting way i think even by today's standards mm-hmm. yes you're dealing with 40 plus years of of back thinking, but I think deals with it really well and really humanely. And it's, I think it is, I think it is underrated in that capacity. I think it's a, it's a, it's a very interesting film in that regard. Uh, And all of it wrapped up in arguably for me, Al Pacino's finest performance. I could say this about three or four performances. I'm not going to demand it's the best and the biggest and best part John Cazale ever got. Uh, who's an actor who can do no wrong. Uh, uh, and I'll say, I'll, I'll, I'll say this last thing before I lob it over to you, Chris. This film has, for me, an objectively perfect first act. I don't think you can find a more perfect first 20 minutes to a movie than this movie. I think it sets everything up so well. Uh, and even the reveal that takes you into act two is this wonderful you know, stumbling reveal of the gun that Pacino has. <laughs> he can't do it smoothly. It's it's this incredibly humane and human bumbling act that reveals what's going on now in the movie that changes everything that's really, really memorable and great and just a great piece of physical acting from Pacino. 
Well, there had been a reason why I hadn't seen this movie. And, and, and it wasn't for like, oh, I think it's going to be bad. I, I think I assumed that this was going to be one of those movies that kind of set the template for a certain genre. And every other film has milked off it for 40 years. Um, I really thought this was, like, I knew very little about this going in. Um, and so I, I knew it was about a robbery. And so I'm like, oh, this is a movie about a group of bank robbers and how they get away with the perfect heist and, and, and all that, like just your typical robbery movie. And what you bring up about the reveal of the gun, what shocked me, like in the first 20 to 30 minutes of this is how it is the worst robbery yes. <laughs> you may have ever seen. These are, these are not crack robbers. These are people who really have no business robbing. I mean, no one has any business robbing a bank, but you know, they're not prepared for this. They, Sonny thinks he knows how he can do this. He's, you know, he, he thinks he's got it figured out, but it's, you brought up the word human so many times when talking about this movie. Yeah. And I think that is the key. It's, Everything goes wrong from the fact that it, one of the guys bows out and almost takes the car home. It's so good. The, the so money's good. not there. Sonny doesn't know how to handle a gun. And that instantly made it a much more interesting movie and made me much more invested yeah. in everyone in it. And what I was surprised is as it played out, I, I, I could empathize with everyone there was no good guy or bad guy for me. Yep. This. this was Sonny and Sal trying to make it through this mess that they've created because they are ill-equipped to do this. It's the hostages trying to, you know, keep their cool and, you know, just hoping they stay alive. But then even the cops, when they're brought in, they're just doing their job. You know, there aren't, yeah. they're not the over, there's a few side cops who are very overzealous um but then the, you know charles durning and i'm forgetting the other one um oh oh shoot james broderick yeah yeah they uh they're they're not who we would have today where they're you know take them out right away they're trying to end this peacefully and so everyone's just trying to do the right thing over this long horrible hot day and I had no idea where any of this was going. And I loved every minute of this. Yeah. And it's yeah. so interesting to watch this so closely after The Godfather. And Pacino's role is just as good, maybe better as his work there. But so different too. Like this is this is a little bit more in places the Pacino I grew up with, where he's a little louder. He's, but he's also a very quiet, not rest. Yeah. And, and the thing I appreciate was how he, he creates Sonny into this character who he's, a, he's put the entire world on his shoulder. He, he wants to take care of everyone. Everybody. Yes. And that is what damns him in the end. You know, that's, that's his downfall is he thinks he can take care of everyone from, from his lover to his wife, to getting, yeah. you know, promising Sal, that, you know, we're, we're going to kill ourselves when we get out of here, if we don't get out of this. To we all of the hostages. Yeah. I, I, that's, that's, that's the great, th I, I, it is, I, I think I have talked about before with you about how I am a sucker for hostage settings for a movie or a television episode. I find it in just, it is 
it is a perfect field in which to play. You can go in so many directions with a hostage situation. And that's probably because I love this movie so much and saw it at the perfect age to see it. Uh, you know, it has always stuck with me as a place where if you're at all creative and know how to write people, you will inevitably find interesting things to tell and do. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and, that, and while that is true, nobody's done it better than this. <laughs> No, no, this is this is fantastic. Um, what, what I also love is even the hostages, they have their own inner like there's the yeah. they're first terrified, as you would imagine, but then others seem to they 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 like being in the spotlight. They're arguing for Sonny and Sal. They're yes, like, there's there's a little community forming there, and it's so fun to watch, even as you know, it kind of starts very comedic in places, but it gets so taut by the end of the movie. Oh yeah, those final moments and God, yeah, this this was great. So, Mike, it uh, if you've ever read, if you have not read Sidney Lumet's book on directing, cannot recommend it highly enough. It is as good a primer as any director has ever written on how you actually direct a movie. But he tells a story that has stuck with me forever. So the big, if there is a big showpiece acting moment in the film. It is about two thirds of the way through when Al Pacino is put on the phone uh, with his wife. Uh, with, well, first with his lover and then his uh, wife and lover. I'm forgetting the order. It doesn't really matter for the purposes of the story. Uh, and it is literally uh, just him on the phone. And I think if I remember correctly, even with the wife, there's no cut to the wife. You just see this play out on Pacino. The entire time. I could be wrong, but that's how I'm remembering it at this moment. But Lamette put a camera down like behind a black curtain and cut a hole in the curtain so the lens could come out. So that Pacino wasn't looking at a camera. He wanted this to be as small and as as intimate as it could possibly be. And he had Pacino, and he knew this was going to be in one take. And so he had Pacino do the entire thing. And he writes in the book about how Pacino, he knew Pacino just naturally is such a, such an actor, such an, brings such intensity, even when he's quiet that, and he thought that that would be just a hair too much, even as he knew Pacino would play it perfectly, but it would just be a bit much. And he wanted the character completely exhausted. This is him at absolute wits end after this exhausting day. And so Pacino gives the entire, does the entire scene, both of these conversations. And then so Lamette said, do it again. And the second time he had him turn the camera on <laughs> and Pacino did it again and then did it just a little bit flatter because he'd had to do it once and had gone through all of it. And that's the take that's in the movie. <laughs> and it's, it, it's a great piece of direction. It's a great story that reminds you that how much actors are at the mercy of directors you know, don't be very careful if you want to blame an actor for being bad. <laughs> it's it's often the director's fault. And just as likely, it's often the director who's really good if, if you're getting a really good performance. <laughs> now, with Ficino, we were going to get a good performance regardless. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying one. I'm saying they deserved each other on this one. But it's a it's a really great moment. And, and uh, just literally a masterclass in acting. That scene is that scene is so good. It's funny you brought up that book because as I was watching this and the network, 
Um, I was I, I was doing a little bit of reading on them, and I think Roger Ebert brought up the book. Is like, oh, if you love movies, this is one of the best books you should you should read. Yeah. So I went on Amazon and I ordered it, and I haven't read it yet, but I'm looking forward to it. But it's funny you bring up the phone call because I the the moment that got me that just kind of put me on, you know, on the edge of my seat a little bit more, paying attention a little more closely, was the other call, the call with um with Leon. Yes. Brandon, and that is a shot where. It takes place in this barbershop that the FBI has commandeered. And when the call starts on Leon, I had no idea where he was. Like you're in this barbershop and you hear the voice. I'm like, where, who's talking? And it, it fits. He's very timid at that point. He doesn't want to be really talking to Sonny. And throughout the call, the camera just really slowly creeps in closer as he's getting more of his, uh, more of his confidence as he's talking more openly until it's right in his face. Yeah. And it's just very slow track across the barbershop. And it's such a good sequence. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I think that we obviously we're talking about two Lumet films. I think what he does so well is he, he creates this very palpable real world. This is not a heightened reality. This is not a slick Michael Mann movie and not that I love Michael Mann, but uh, this, this feels like it's taking place in, you know, in a real city at this time. It opens with this montage of daily life that I, I believe was actually in one of the reviews I read, he, he filmed it like without people noticing, he's just capturing life on the yeah. city. Um, Stay in the but city, also Stay in New York. The, there's this song playing over it. That you know, it's, it's, it's uh, Elton John's Am- Amorica, right? Yes, I think yes. it is. Yeah, and uh, you know, it, it's playing, and it's kind of just the music you hear as this montage is going. But then, when you meet Sonny and Sal, they're listening to that song in the car. It becomes part of the fabric of the film, and it just does such a good job immersing you right away. It was, mm-hmm. it, it's such a yeah, and, and yeah, no, it, it's it. it, it, it takes a really solid director to have something to have chaos that feels this realistic like yeah it, it, it feels real every moment of this feels real and lived in and grounded yes and that's a fascinating contrast to the next one we're going to talk about yeah. which doesn't yeah. and is also perfectly set like he's he has figured out the exact tone to tell that story, <laughs> which is very slick and very glossy looking. Yeah. Uh, as opposed to this, which isn't like ugly by any means, but it is urban in the traditional mm-hmm. sense of the word, not in the coded sense of the word. You are always in the city in Dog Day Food. Even when you're in the bank, the bank's in the city <laughs> and there is life going on just outside that bank. Uh, that these people are are all waiting to get back to and has been interrupted because of this. And it's, yeah, yeah it, it all adds to making them utterly believable. You could, like you were saying, you could easily have a favorite hostage in this movie. You get to know them individually, not perfectly. I don't remember any of their names in, in all the times I've seen the movie. I don't care. I don't need to. I can picture them. I know what they do. I know how they are. And it's great. It is such a, it, it, it is remarkable to see something that, like you said at the beginning, you know, you expect to be this genre workout and you realize it is no, just an excuse to have these incredibly intimate human interactions mm-hmm. that are, 
don't need to be hyped up because the situation's already tense enough. The actors are still playing the tension of the situation. You know, there may be a character or two who feels less, you know, less tense at any given moment, that, as you would. I have to imagine if you were involved in a hostage situation that went 12 hours, you're not going to be at wit's end the entire 12 hours. Uh, and that's great. It just, and Lamette, like you were saying with that sequence where he pushes in, just observes. And he always manages to observe from exactly the right distance. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's not, you know, it's not like an Ozu film where we just plant the camera and everything plays out like a proscenium. And it's not this intrusive, we're going to get as close as possible so you can see everything play out. It's just, I'm going to find the right distance to put the camera to capture the emotion I want to capture in this sequence. It's so purposeful and does not feel like you are being forced to look at anything. Yeah. In particular. It's so, it's, 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 it's really masterful. I love how you can just feel the desperation that, uh, that Sonny feels too. Like this is, this is a man who's trying to rob a bank to get money for his lover's sex change because his lover has tried to commit suicide. Yeah. Like, and he's got, he, but he's also trying to also maintain a family life that is also falling apart. And he's, we learn he's been snapping and you just feel like from the moment Pacino walks in that bank, you just feel the weight about Sonny. Like just, you understand what's brought him to this point. You understand, even if you understand too, this is the wrong decision and it's none of this is he he comes off as this guy who always thinks he knows what that solution is going to be what that yeah. fix is going to be and it makes it worse for everyone coupled with you know again the brilliant performance by john cazale which oh, yeah. again goes with the screenplay i want i want to credit this this is a great screenplay too yeah. <laughs> let's it's not just a matter of great direction you know, there is a scene, there's a conversation, and I forget where it happens in the movie. I can't remember if it's halfway or two-thirds of the way through, where you realize for sure, finally, what Sal is. <laughs> and it is it is the moment at which the film goes, I don't want to say fully dark, but where it commits to darkness. <laughs> and and I say that as, I mean that literally. The film goes from light to dark. You know, it, it, it starts during the day, it ends overnight that night and that progression is very important thematically and that's that to have this guy who wants to like you said take care of everybody that he feels such a sense of responsibility you know to to have it play out where he realizes now he has maybe picked somebody who he shouldn't have someone who that wasn't the right person to invest in mm-hmm. <laughs> is this just amazing scene where he can't fully get rid of it and he realizes oh oh this is where he understands he's 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 made this error this life error and again you've said it perfectly and the movie never brings it up the movie never states it this way it does not it does not give it to you in a verbal bow for you to understand this character by any means it's just the way it plays out no and you learn like if you think if i'm thinking about the same thing you are um is it the Wyoming conversation? I think so. I, you know, I forget where it comes in, but. Where he's, you know, he's, you know, what, what country do you want to go to? Wyoming. Wyoming's not a country. And, and you just realize this is a guy who, Sal's a guy who isn't all there. No. And 
you know, then even lines that you think would be, they would almost seem humorous on a certain, like that, that line is kind of humorous until you also, he's never been on a plane before. And oh my gosh, things aren't going to turn out for this guy who is in way over his head, which was honestly, when he shows up in the movie, my thought was, oh, this is a dangerous guy. He's, he's the wild card, you know, he's going to, no, he's a guy who is not prepared for this and should not no i mean no one should be involved with this but especially him he is not the guy you call to carry out a master plan right and the genius like you said even like i said why i think it's a perfect first act to have the third guy in on it just be like sonny i'm sorry i can't do this i gotta go <laughs> and he lets him go which yeah. is yes <laughs> it's, love it. he's gonna take know, the car he saw it you know sonny was given this opportunity to realize once again you can get out of this it's that great, you know, it's, it's that great inversion of the, uh, uh, the uh, refusal of the call <laughs> in the traditional mm-hmm. hero's journey. It's this great inverse of that. Yeah. And one of the many reasons I love the movies and love um, the movie structure. It's, so, it's such a perfect, it's a perfect film. I don't like using that word phrase very often, but in the sense that every shot is there for a purpose, none of it is repetitious mm-hmm. and every scene is necessary. And yeah, it doesn't it's a perfect movie. Anything. Like, no, maybe, not at all. I, I don't know how careful we got to be with spoilers in a nearly 50-year-old You are movie. nearly warned now, people. <laughs> um, so, so when you get to the end of the movie and you find out, oh, you know, Sonny got played by the cops, and then you replay back the fact that his downfall is he thought he had outsmarted the cops. Yeah. And yeah. the movie doesn't highlight that. It's just a... You know, the moment where he's like, oh, no, that guy's a cop. I want this guy. Yeah. And, and then you realize, oh, that was their plan. And, you know, Sonny, once again, thought he knew more than he knew. And it, and it, you know, ends. And not only, you know, the heartbreaking death of Sal, which is so abrupt and it, it shocked me, but also the the cards at the end that tell you what happened. To everyone, yes. Which, which is heartbreaking. Um, yeah, it doesn't doesn't highlight that too much it's just there it trusts trust the audience which kind of gets into the other point i want to talk about which might be a good way to transition into network too i honestly and i like network a lot i feel like the depiction of the media in this might even be more effective than in network um, in the fact, or maybe it's just that I prefer where it's not boldface underlined satire. And I just, <laughs> I, and again, we'll get to network, which is a movie I really like, but I just love the fact that it plays out here that Sonny becomes this kind of folk hero until the crowds, you know, some of the crowd starts to turn on him when they find out he's gay and he becomes this media superstar in, in the space of an afternoon and, sees himself on TV and how that all plays out without having to underline, isn't this a circus folks? Isn't this crazy? It's the commentary is part of the story and it's shoving it in your face. And I appreciate that. I appreciate what network does, but I appreciate a movie that can do that without reminding me that it's doing that. Yes. I, I think that's a really, I, 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 I am, I have a harder time, uh, 
I have an easy time comparing the two films on those terms. I have a hard time contrasting them on those two terms because I think they are doing two very <laughs> different things. I mean, I the 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 satire in Network to me, it 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 is not necessarily about the media itself. It sort of accepts uh, that that's what media does. It, it, it already establishes that they all the both films already accept the power the media has mm-hmm. right but where network or where dog afternoon shows how it is how it affects people who consume it you know network is an attack on the mindset that delivers it sure. yeah that's <laughs> which perfect. is which is two very different modes of attack and of course and and since we might as well transition fully to it the other thing for me is that, you know, as much as Network is brilliantly directed by Sidney Lumet, it's so Patty Chayefsky's yeah. film. Yeah. <laughs> it is so Patty Chayefsky's film uh, that I, I, I have a, that's the other reason I, I, I hadn't thought about it like that. And that's great. Thank you for bringing that up. I hadn't thought about comparing their approaches to the media, but that's, uh, I, I, th- I think they're an interesting, they're, they're, it's just another reason they're a great double feature. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's and I mean it's it's interesting they were made so closely together, which you know directors make different types of movies all the time. But it's it's just very they are two completely different experiences. Um, yeah, it, from the same director, and I, I do think Lumet grounds Chayefsky's script really well. Like it, there are times where it feels like there are real people in this, and it's a real world, and it's a tangible world. Um, it's which, a tangible world. Yeah. I'll give it that. I don't. I don't. I don't think for a minute these people are real, and I don't mind that. That's not a knock. Mm-hmm. That is simply to say I think that you know because again, as we were talking about with old, nobody in network talks oh, no, like no. that. It is. It is a poet, and Chayefsky's a good enough writer to get away with it. You know, nobody talks in the real world the way Coen Brothers characters talk either. Mm-hmm. They're still brilliantly written because they are all written of a piece, as network is. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I so I had seen Network a few years ago. I was taking a class on movies about the media and politics. And that was one of the films we watched. Uh, and I really liked it then. I really liked it going back now. Um, the thing I think that took me back, the thing that I keep coming back to is just this weird feeling like when you talk about Dog Day Afternoon, like you said, that's a movie that with very little changes could take place today, right? And it would still feel resonant and it would still feel... Uh, you know, the, the themes are still very relevant. The, the transgender theme, the, the media theme is still there. With Network, there's a part of me that wonders how this felt in 1976 when it was just very over, isn't this crazy satire? And now we take it takes place. And it's still, to me, just as smart and as brilliant. But I'm like, oh, we've kind of lapped this <laughs> in many ways, right? Like, we, we still, we, we already are at the place where there are news stations that have mingled entertainment and the news. That, that's, that's a very oh, yeah. reality right now. Um, when they talk about, you know, marshalling the rage of people, TV doesn't do that as much anymore because TV did it so well for so long, but now we have that right at our fingertips. Um, <laughs> it, it almost, there's a point where it almost feels quaint. Um, you know, it's quaint as... <laughs> as a movie that features an on-air assassination at the very end can feel. <laughs> and yeah, that's a nice way of putting it. They, um, 
it, it's it's so I, I go back and forth on this because I don't want to I still think network explains a mindset that is very much alive and well in the world mm-hmm. you know it, it 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 you know it would only it would only have to change you know the, the so honestly the closest thing to a redo of network that was done correctly is the social network there's a reason it okay, has that yeah. name mm-hmm. to be fair that's the closest anybody's come to doing network again and it's a very different film. It's a much more humane personal film than, than Network. <laughs> it is not it is in not in the sense that it is the satire that Network is, just in the sense that it is an exploration of the mindset mm-hmm. that requires the need to control thought yeah. <laughs> or how a particular mindset's ability to control what people consume will change how those people who are consuming that product, that's the, that's the, those are slightly different things, but they're certainly related and they're worth comparing and contrasting those two films. Network to me, network to me didn't truly become arguably passe, honestly, until Trump. Yes. Honestly, that was the point where I think even, even Chayefsky couldn't go there. Yeah, Chayefsky couldn't or wouldn't let himself fathom that. <laughs> I saw it this the, the year after he was elected. The, yeah. the winter after he was elected. Yeah, when when it was apparent that he was actually going to have a shot to win the election, to me, I went, "Oh, this is it." Then this is the point where network is has finally been passed. It is no longer ahead of its time. <laughs> time has finally passed for, and that's a hell of a run for 40 mm-hmm. years to be ahead of your time it's really good this is not a slight on network or in any way to indicate you shouldn't see network because you really should <laughs> yeah no just to say that you know what it presents is going to seem very is going to seem very old-fashioned but i think the mindset that it is articulating is very much alive and well yeah it's it's very much this thing like i can imagine you know 45 years ago going in and being, wow, this is so outlandish. This is so crazy. Can you believe, you know, this is what Patty Shaevsky's talking about, what he thinks would happen or where we're going. And now the mindset is, yeah, it feels, it feels sad to watch it. Right. Like not, yeah. not, oh, yeah. not that the movie, not, not in the way that the movie's bad, but because, oh yeah, what was crazy is our reality. Um, you know, we, the the whole the whole mad as hell speech right which is the iconic moment in the movie it's what everyone remembers from the movie that's the other day i was on twitter and someone was talking about how they were confused that how i can't remember what it was but someone had said something and people were mad at them for saying that even god i, I don't know i it, it was some way people were angry online and someone was shocked and the whole conversation came back to everyone's angry, but they don't know what to be angry about, right? Like, <laughs> yes. And and that's what social media taps into is this feeling that, wow, I'm pissed off about something and it gives me that outlet. And that's what Howard Beale is. He's that angry person and everyone resonates with that, even though they don't know why they're not Howard Beale, they, they, you know, but they know the world's been spinning them bullshit, right? And they're Who angry is- about it. And they to can be scream f- about it, but can't do anything about it. And which is, and again, the the part of the set here, the film, Howard Beale's insane. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> this is, this, <laughs> let's, let's be very clear that the character himself is 
off the deep end insane already. And they are, you know, the, the network allows this madman on the air uh, and then sees the success and allows it to continue, which is what, you know, you know, the, the film is called network. It's mm-hmm. not called the Howard Beale story. The it is it is an attack on capitalism. It, it is it is a which for which makes for you know for me yes I'm mad as I'm not going to make it anymore is the is is the most famous speech in the movie. But the best speech in the movie belongs wait, to wait, wait. the dearly departed Ned Beatty. Ned Beatty, yep, yes, yep. I just rewatched that today too because I was so it yes. is so good. Who explains that you know to Howard Beale that it is he has. You have messed with the primal forces of nature and you will atone. Oh, it's a, it, it, it's like a Coen Brothers moment to me. Except, yes, except the Coen Brothers played it. And that's the thing. It is, it is the, you know, that scene is, I can't imagine the Coen Brothers doing that scene because the point of that scene is Ned Beatty scaring the hell out of the crazy dude. You know, <laughs> the Coens would do it to make fun of Ned Beatty. Yes. And that's not what the point of that scene is. I mean, it is, it is, Chayefsky is using the words to point out how insane this point of view is, but the scene is not making fun of Ned, is not making fun of that speech. It's about how powerful that speech is (laughs) and how frighteningly true it is. It is, it is the, it is the point at which you could tell Chayefsky is mad as hell and can't take it anymore. He had to write this movie to get that level of mad out. It is interesting that Howard Beale is almost an admission of why he's writing the movie to begin with. Uh, And it's, that's such a great speech. And there are other, there are other moments in the movie that are so smart and throw. I love it when the, uh, my, my, the funniest laugh for me in the movie still to this day is when the Angela Davis character starts spouting off about knowing all the percentages on her back end deal and her production costs for the show that she's putting together, starring this Symbionese Liberation Army knockoff group that, that, that the movie uses. That's so funny and so on point. And again, like we're saying with Dark Day Afternoon, it would only take a minor, t- you, you wouldn't have to change much of that speech at all. You just have to change the media that's yeah. involved and that would be that would still that would still fly today that would yeah. still absolutely work today the thing that makes me laugh and it, it's it, it's just a piece of set design it's when they reveal the new news set and it's this <laughs> game show set and yes it's it's still the one thing that to me feels slightly like oh okay at least we didn't get there but now i'm thinking back and i'm like maybe we did get there <laughs> you know um because we haven't gotten the game show set for the news, but the news has definitely become, you know, entertainment. And it, yeah, it, it makes me laugh is how outlandish that is. Um, but then you think about, you know, they give the mad profit of the airwaves and that's Fox News. Like, oh yeah. Like that's, that's the, that's what they've done is taken that, that person who's spouting the nonsense in the rants who gets the ratings and they've given him their own hour. Yes. Yes. If Chayefsky had just made him president, it would still be of its time. Yeah. That's yeah. the only, that's the only thing he would have had to have done to make this work. But again, that wasn't his point. What he, you know, it, it still is because like I was saying, you know, this is an attack on how a dollar first mindset is going to ruin mm-hmm. the country. 
those of us who hold a particular opinion of the former president would find that to be strictly on point. It, the other thing is when when Howard Beale starts talking about that and revealing that to people, that's when they lose interest too. Yes, yes. That's, that and, and that is the part to me that feels the most real. Uh, when it's when it's not getting them lathered up, but it's oh, there's a real problem that you can't really do anything about, but I you still need to know about it. And yeah, in the channel, like it is an unsparing look at the people who who are so gung ho to be moved by it. Yes, mm-hmm. it is. It is. It is. There is a there is definitely a lash or two of the forty lashes this film distributes for the audience mm-hmm. <laughs> that that buys into this and and wants to be a part of it and makes it a hit. And it is still fascinating to me that as much as as much as i talked about this being an unreal world and it's not that it is unreal it's just heightened and that's because of chayefsky's dialogue like i was saying Mm -hmm. nobody talks in this film in any sort of normal way everybody's talking like they are the smartest person on the planet in the most articulate tumble of words you've ever heard but that said i utterly buy that premise like I, 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 you know, the, the Howard Beale on air meltdown and how it comes in two phases. They spend a lot of time setting this up that he has mm-hmm. his first sort of big moment on the air and they want to shut it down. And the, the, the beautiful machinations of plot that get him put back on the air. And then after they're trying to make it happen, you know, nothing, nobody loses interest. Everybody's kind of wore off. And then he breaks down again. Yeah, And that's what spikes it and takes off the rest of the movie. That's utterly plausible. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Which is why the film does still work as heightened as it is. You, you buy the premise. And that's, that's, that's a really great achievement and where you're absolutely right that Lamette helps ground that. I mean, that's, that's still baked into Chayefsky's script for sure. It is set up really well, as unrealistic as the dialogue is. But yes, Lamette certainly helps make this all seem like, well, this is just happening. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, it, engrossing. it's the, the same thing that makes Dog Day Afternoon work so well is it understands humanity so well. It just understands that darker impulse of humanity that we're, we're going to latch on to the angry person, even if we don't share why they're angry. They're angry. We're angry. But also the dollar is going to roll over everyone. Like it's going to be more important than the president. It's going to be more important than, you know, it's why wars are fought. And at the end of the day, and that's only become more true in the last 45 years. Yeah. Like it's, yeah, it, 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 it's a movie that was very prophetic, um, which is why it's so weird to watch because what seemed outlandish is really, yeah. Okay. That came true. Um, you know, we have not talked though. Uh, so we did Chinatown for our last episode. Uh, and so I was wondering, we haven't brought up Faye Dunaway at all in this. Yeah. Yeah. Faye Dunaway got her Oscar for this movie. And I, I don't have a problem with that. I, I, so my problem with Faye Dunaway has always been this, and there are a handful of performers who who fall into this trap for me there's a very big example of it with an actress uh, who's very popular today uh i i i i don't believe faye dunaway is untalented i i my problem is just that she 
always strikes me as someone who knows she's being filmed. Yes. Not to yes. the point that she is self-conscious. Mm-hmm. You know, not, I'm not saying in a bad act way. I'm just saying in a way that to me, she very rarely feels lived in. You know, so, and, and all you need to do is to imagine her as one of the hostages in Dog Day Afternoon to yes. realize what I'm talking about. <laughs> she, she never seems like she's there and is this just this real person it is always she always has this that feeling she gives that you're she's always being recorded and knows it and when you can use that you can use that really well there there are a lot of actors who suffer from this and they can still be used well um you know that's why she's great in chinatown honestly Mm -hmm. she's she is always concerned with how she is presenting herself in chinatown the character is so it works that's where that's why she's great as awful as mommy dearest is so it's a great performance it really is a great performance i mean it's unhinged by bad direction and and a ridiculous screenplay but she's committing to that and that is a character who is always concerned with how she appears and i think that plays absolutely into her particular uh her 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 particular i don't want to say skill set but particular idiosyncrasies as as an actress and again this is common i i absolutely believe that this is the problem with jessica chastain i think jessica chastain is very talented and i have never gotten the feeling that she's a real person ever on screen i i always get the feeling that she knows she's being filmed and she knows she's being watched even even when she was on snl it's like she can't quite there's something about her that she can't let go uh and they're certainly you know they're they're not the only two lots of actors suffer from this so she's great here. You know, she is more than capable of handling Chayefsky's dialogue. Mm. She's very funny. She, she lands all of the jokes in this script. Uh, I, I, I think she, uh, I think it was very liberating to watch her play someone so totally heartless. Yeah. <laughs> when she has her most inhumane speeches, she's actually at her best in the movie. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, when, when they're talking about the assassination at the end, and it's just yes. like that's that made me like. Yeah. Um, I, I noticed what you were saying. There's the scene where um, where Max goes to break up with her, and she walks oh, yes. into the kitchen at one point, and she grabs a teacup, and her hand is like visibly shaking, but it almost like you could see her like making sure we saw her banging the teacup on the saucer. Yes, uh, but it, that. I, I think something about that works for me because there is something about her that is just supposed to feel off and then un- unnatural. Like she, oh yeah, we're told yes. So it, it doesn't bother me, but I, I know what you're saying on that. Um, yes, yeah. and I mean that as a as a whole. I, that is that is my impression of her in everything I've ever seen her in. She just carries that with her, and it, some directors use it really well. And and it's and it doesn't hurt her here because. You know, Chayefsky, and I do mean Chayefsky, not Lamette, you know, makes it very clear. There's a speech where he says, she is television. Yeah. You know, she is this cold, heartless machine that wants only viewers and nothing else and nothing else matters. And it's it's very, and it, and it is, it is probably to Lamette's credit most of all that, yes, this incredibly, almost one-dimensional attack <laughs> On a, on a mindset that is worthy to attack uh, feels at least a little balanced and nuanced uh, thanks to what Lamette brings to it. 
Yeah. I, I love Shaevsky's script in this. Um, I, I, I know I saw The Hospital years ago. Um, oh, I like that movie too. And, and I remember really liking that. Um, but what I love is it, it's something not everyone can pull off when you write these big florid scripts. With, you know, think of the Beatrice Strait talking about, oh, so, you know, yes. the winter passion and yes. all that. That should not work. With most writers, that would fall flat and feel, you know, it, it would feel false. And it never feels real, but it feels... I, I buy it. And I think it is the grounding and it's the actors. And it's just that Shaevsky's so good at it. He knows yeah. the play. Yeah, it's the consistency of the writing throughout that whole script. That speech shouldn't work. There are dozens of speeches in this film that shouldn't work, but they all work because they are all written on this wavelength. Yeah. And that combination of Lamette grounding it while still letting it, letting that poetic dialogue go is great. And it, it's and it, I think it's partly because like with like and i'm i am not saying i am not i'm not what i'm about to say is not to say chayefsky is shakespeare it's simply to say that you know if you see shakespeare performed properly mm -hmm. it doesn't matter if you don't catch all of it and if it doesn't all make sense to you it was written to be performed and if there is an actor who can bring about the emotional response of the speech to you in how it is delivered it will play and that's the same thing in this you don't even have to be listening to the words you don't have to catch all of it to understand the motivations for the characters from scene to scene and that's why it's really he he was a great screenwriter <laughs> you know, he's not just a great writer he was a great screenwriter mm -hmm. uh and this cast is you know we, we've already mentioned William Holden, Faye Dunaway, Ned Beatty, uh, you know, Peter Finch, Robert Duvall, who has my, the, probably the single most wonderful vulgar line in the whole film, which is, I got a great big titted hit. That's fantastic. <laughs> Just fantastic. And yeah. th that everybody knows how to deliver that dialogue really well. You know, it is this script could have gone horrifically wrong in so many hands mm -hmm. <laughs> and Lamette was perfect to do it. And, and this cast was perfect to do it. Yeah. Dave Itzkoff wrote a really good book on the making of this movie. It's called mad as hell, um, obviously, but uh, it, it's really good, but it kind of coming on the heels of reading it after the Chinatown book, I was almost disappointed because it was, a, it seemed like a very uh, yeah shoot. <laughs> and I kind of missed the chaos of Chinatown one. Um, but one thing I had not realized was that Peter Finch died when he was doing the rounds for this, which yes. this was his, you know, he had retired by this point and this was kind of his, oh, okay, I, I'll come back. I'm kind of getting the bug again. And then he dies right afterwards. And it's just such a good performance. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I, I had not realized that. I had also not realized Shaevsky did not do a ton after this. Um, no, just altered states uh, in the hospital. Yeah, right? I think the hospital uh, comes after this. Hospital was before this. Is it really? Oh, it is. It's right. That's like seventy one or something like that. Yeah, because he originally wanted George C. Scott for the um, Howard Beale role. Yeah, I kind of do too, but I yeah. kind of think George C. Scott should have been in everything. Uh, yeah, I think after this, just comes altered states, which of course is the movie that killed him because. There is, as Pauline Kael said, no more insane combination of, of artists than Patty Chayefsky and Ken Russell. <laughs> that should never have happened. And that, you know, Chayefsky was, uh, for people who don't know this, you know, Patty Chayefsky was 
the most I, I, not only sort of respected but genuinely powerful writer in Hollywood yeah. for about 25 years to the point that he had it in his contract that not only did his picture appear in the corner of the movie posters that he wrote they couldn't change his dialogue without his permission yeah you had to film every word and every word had to be on the screen unless he allowed it to go otherwise and that leads to the famous if you've ever seen altered states you know ken russell who doesn't do anything Ken Russell doesn't want to do uh, bristled at this and had actors literally like delivering words while their mouth was full of food, like to make it unintelligible. Like you couldn't understand what they were saying, but they were saying it and the, you know, the battle and the, uh, the remarkable uh, ill health in which Chayefsky kept himself at that point <laughs> uh, led to a heart attack not long after Altered States came out, uh, a fatal heart attack. Well, that's sad. <laughs> which, of course, well, then, of course, that leads to the famous moment that we saw, if you know the, if you know the story, tying this all back to, <laughs> to, to the man who wrote that great book about Chinatown and his book about Bob Fosse, or if you saw Fosse Verdon, Bob Fosse and Peg were very close friends very close and contributed to each other's like they showed each other what they were working on and they both influence you can mm. see it it's you can see where they influence each other's stuff and that you know then uh Fosse famously performed a soft shoe tap number at Chayefsky's funeral because he didn't know what to say like he had no speed he promised to speak and couldn't that was all that was the only way Fosse could express himself. And it's, it's a great that's a it's a really sweet moment in the book and a very powerful moment in the miniseries and a, a really I, I find very touching real life story. All right. Well, do we have anything else to say about Network or Dog Day Afternoon? See him. See him both. If you've never seen him, see him. Yeah. Especially, especially Dog Day Afternoon. <laughs> um, I believe so. I had to rent Network and that was really cheap on Amazon. I know that Dog Day Afternoon was on HBO Max, and it might still be. I don't know offhand. I I, it, I, I agree. I think I remember seeing it there. Yes. All right. But I'm wondering if you can still find it. It's re- there's probably there was a really great box set uh, Warner Brothers put out a few years ago that had Dog Day Afternoon uh, uh, Network and uh, All the President's Men. <laughs> oh my gosh you know what you're reminding me a few years ago i got this deal on this like warner brothers hundred years box set oh like i remember that set it. oh it's beautiful i i got it for like 50 bucks good call i probably rented those movies and i probably have those they're there yeah i think yeah. they're in there <laughs> all right perry in the meantime uh, as we prepare for our next episode where can people find you you can find me on Facebook. You can find me on Twitter at Perry Loves Film. You can hear me every Friday on the Lucy and Lance Show on WLBY. And occasionally you can hear me on the Cathode Ray Mission podcast. We have an episode coming up in September about the career of Quentin Tarantino. I'm just a little excited to be a part of. Very nice. And a plug, keep your ears open for a future episode really soon where uh, that might become pertinent as well. Yes, indeed. Uh, How about you, Chris? Where can we find you? Yeah, find me... Um, my newsletter is the best place right now. Uh, you know, extra writing, extra podcasting is kind of becoming a, a premium right now. So this show and 
my newsletter are really the things I've been throwing myself into in my spare time. Um, so go to criticisms.substack.com. Um, I am through my series of summer of 1996 films because spoiler alert, nothing good came out in August of 1996. <laughs> um, ooh, but ooh. Now I'm curious. Now I'm, <laughs> I'm going to do some quick research here. I'm going to see if I can steer one your way. I, I considered going back to do A Time to Kill, which I remember really liking upon its release and <laughs> time got away from there. But I am at the end of where I finished up last year on my Spielberg series, which means I'm about to watch um, Empire of the Sun and Always and Hook, which is a, uh, a, a threesome that seems very um, inconsistent. Uh, <laughs> but uh I, I've had a good time with that one. I also have reviews up there of old and by this weekend, I should have stuff up about Stillwater and the Green Knight um, and maybe the Suicide Squad, which I'm hoping to check out this weekend. Okay, okay Chris, there was a, a lot of horrible, horrible things that came out in August of 1996, <laughs> but there's one absolute gem in there, which I think you should go back and do because I bet you didn't see it at the time. Waiting for Guffman opened in August. Oh, I've seen Waiting for Guffman. I didn't know that was the night. There you go. All right. Here you go. I love Waiting for Guffman. Good deal. Because that's certainly been. Oh, you know what? Sling Blade also came out that month. Oh, that might be worth it too. Freeway, which is actually a good movie, but it's also a month responsible for the island of Dr. Moreau. Uh, the fan remember the fan is a movie that takes place in a finale at a baseball game during a thunderstorm this happens i also love the fan because it has <laughs> it is the only movie i know of which the main character played by robert de niro do you know what his profession is in that movie have we talked about this oh i don't know but i know i've seen the fan he's a knife salesman yes yes that's, that's right. so good that's, that's right. so good that's <laughs> so good oh and also jack that piece of crap came out that month. Oh, August is, oh man, August is such a dead zone. <laughs> All right, well, we'll be back in two weeks with a new episode. And until then, um, yeah, I'll, I'll check out Jack. <laughs>